Hello and welcome to The Crumb, a podcast from Bake From Scratch magazine. We're here to talk baking in all forms, the people, the culture, and the baked goods that make us run to preheat our oven. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Crumb. I'm Brian Hart Hoffman, the editor-in-chief of Bake From Scratch magazine. And I'm Kyle Grace Mills, the associate editor at Bake From Scratch magazine. And we're back with another entry into our Better Baking Academy with Bob's Red Mill. This is our fourth module, and it's all about gluten-free chocolate cake. Or as I like to call it, the best chocolate cake ever that just happens to be gluten-free. For those of you who are new to the gluten-free baking experience, you're going to love having this recipe in your back pocket for when you're baking for those people in your life with gluten sensitivity. And for those who are an old hand at gluten-free baking, prepare to discover the holy grail of gluten-free recipes. So for this module, we make our own gluten-free flour blend out of four of Bob's Red Mill's artisan flours. We use the gluten-free one-for-one baking flour, oat flour, coconut flour, and almond flour. Each of these bring a key element of texture and taste to our cake, making it the perfect dupe for a regular flour blend. And then, to take things to a whole new level, we top it off with Swiss meringue buttercream, the silkiest, dreamiest recipe you can imagine. This cake is very special. It is something that, at first, we were like, okay, can we do it? Can we pull it off? Can we really make a cake that just hap- that, that is fantastic, that just happens to be gluten-free? And we keep saying that, that it just happens to be gluten-free, because I think it's a really nice bridge for those of us that do choose to bake with gluten flour 98% of the time. And we have friends and family that are gluten sensitive and gluten intolerant, and their requirements are way different than ours, but we still wanna bake for them and we still wanna have something that everyone can eat at the table. And I immediately think of Angela Garbots with her inclusive baking and how something is delicious, it's sweet, it's, perfect for a celebration, and it just so happens to be gluten-free, I think this is the cake that answers that. So it's like a bridge of sorts. Yeah, because people who are gluten-sensitive you know, sensitive are have had gluten meals before. They know what a real cake tastes <laughs> like. They know what this tastes like and that thing. So it's not like they just, you know, are willing to settle. They want something that's just as good as something with gluten, and that's this cake. And that's the beauty of blending flowers and the flavors, textures, and different properties they bring to the recipe. And for this recipe, we needed an authority on gluten-free baking. So we turned to Sierra Siller of the baking blog, Peanut Butter Plus Chocolate. Just some fun facts about Ciara. Besides being a fantastic baker, she's also a stage and film actress who is trained in martial arts. I mean, watch out. Maybe it's a black belt. Ciara has a love of healthy and allergy-sensitive baking, and she has both traditional and gluten-free and vegan recipes on her blog. And it is quite a destination to find anything and everything under the sun that suits anyone's baking needs. She's always offering the best of all the worlds of the baking universe. <laughs> it is a universe, like gluten-free, vegan, I gluten-filled, mean, yes. So let's talk to Ciara and get into some cake baking. Hello, Ciara, and welcome to The Crumb. Hi, thank you for having me. We are so excited to chat with you today. And we're turning our attention with our Bob's Red Mill Better Baking Academy to something that 
is near and dear to your heart and is a little bit less a part of our everyday baking here at Bake From Scratch. But today we're going to talk with you all about gluten-free baking. (laughs) So it's nice to finally connect with you and to have you here on The Crumb with us and for you to be a part of this amazing program. Thank you. I'm so excited and I'm so glad you guys reached out to me to be part of this. It's been an exciting time. And it's just a nice way, I think, you know, and I will just admit that we expanding ourselves into a little bit more of the gluten-free and alternative flour baking world, working with Bob's Red Mill and people like you are such a crucial part of that experience for us. So it's perfect timing. It's amazing to learn and experience. What I will say I've learned recently is that you can eat gluten-free and not taste it and say, oh my gosh, this is gluten-free. So it's like a really nice shift in the baking world where you're, it just happens to be gluten-free and everybody can eat it. So thank you for being a part of that and for being with us. It's it's such an exciting exploration for me. Oh, good. So I'm jumping- excited to be here. Yeah. So jumping off, what are some of the tricks of the trade with you for gluten-free baking? You know, what are some of your favorite alternative flours to use to help imitate that texture we get from traditional gluten baking? Um, Well, a few of my favorites are some of the ones that we actually use for the cake, Uh, the almond flour, coconut flour, oat flour, and gluten-free baking flour, as well as tapioca flour. I use tapioca flour in almost all of my gluten-free recipes. Um, it just works really well as like um, an added binding agent. I've, I've realized um, adding it with like almond flour uh, to kind of balance out the, the heavy fat in the almond flour works really well to use tapioca flour as well. Doesn't the tapioca flour lend also a little bit of I don't want to say a gummy factor, but I think when you're working with something that can be as dry as an almond flour, that tapioca flour does something in the bite also. To give it chew. Yeah. Is that right? Am oh, I yeah, guessing absolutely. correctly? <laughs> almond flour also has that grittiness, and I think it helps to kind of balance that out as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I know like a lot, um, a lot of people would use it instead of corn flour or cornstarch. And, um, but with cornstarch, usually we just use a couple of tablespoons, but, but I use like a whole cup of tapioca flour sometimes and, um, you know, like, and, and one cup of almond flour. So I really use it as a flour rather than just a couple of tablespoons to balance it out. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And I have, at a restaurant here in Birmingham, they actually have gluten-free gougere that are made with tapioca flour, and I love them. Mm -hmm. And I always comment about the way the cheese and the tapioca flour just create a really delicious bite, and I love the texture in my mouth, too. So I'm glad to know you have confirmed that I wasn't just guessing blindly at that <laughs> tapioca contribution. So the, gr- the yes, gluten-free love it. the gluten-free flour blend that we, you know, combined into the cake that we did in the Better Baking Academy with Bob's Red Mill, combining their oat flour, coconut flour, almond flour, and their gluten-free one-for-one baking flour— 
mm-hmm. I want to know from you, like, what are some of the benefits of using each of these and maybe quirks that we should all be aware of when using the blends like this and any do's or don'ts you see from that? Um, well, I guess I'll start off with the do's and don'ts. One thing there to keep in mind with like coconut flour, it absorbs so much liquid and it doesn't really lend much of like a binding agent. So you have to keep that in mind when using that, that you're, you still need to use another flour that's going to kind of counteract that or lend that, that binding agent for you. If you were just to use just coconut flour in a muffin recipe, you're kind of just going to end up with cornbread and it's going to be really gritty and not, you know, not really very stable. Um, so, and, and I feel like every gluten-free flour has something like that you need to always keep in mind. Like, okay, if I'm going to be using almond flour. It's such a high fat concentrate. Then I should probably adjust how much butter or oil I'm using to um, kind of balance it out so you're not using too much uh, fat, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I always, at first, it's, it's, I feel like baking gluten-free is so tricky, but once you get the hang of it and you, you really start playing around with it, you understand, like, anytime you use coconut flour or oat flour, you're also going to need, you know, this... Um, th- this much more fat or this much more uh, starch or something like that to kind of counteract the other flour. And so it's not just so easy as to just replace an entire flour in a regular recipe with, let's say, oat flour. You know, you would have to also add maybe some almond flour. Right. And I think that with the, I know for the gluten-free one-for-one baking flour that Bob's Red Mill does, they have tapioca flour in it. Um, A lot of that starchy, I think they also have potato starch in it. And it kind of binds things up for you, as well as we added like an extra egg to this recipe because of the absorption factor of the coconut flour. Mm -hmm. Um, So we we definitely had to troubleshoot this um, and think about those things when we were making the recipe. Yeah. And I think brands such a big part in it. You see a recipe online, and if they don't tell you what brand they're using, that can be very tricky. They're just saying, I'm using a one-for-one baking flour. Every single brand is so different from the other. Um, that That's pretty risky to do. Well, and I will say, I think, you know, if you look back, I mean, 10 years plus, it's been such an evolution of the availability of alternative flours, gluten-less or gluten-free flours. And Bob's Red Mill has truly been at the forefront of pioneering that. And I think more than anything in gluten-free baking, you do need to know the brands of the one-for-ones because of what you just said. I've baked with a few of them in each of them contribute something different and results are always different in the outcome. And, you know, I think our goal from the onset of using this combination was to show people that you aren't just going to take one bag of a gluten-free flour and equally substitute it for all purpose in what would be a traditional, you know, gluten-structured recipe. And that finding these perfect combinations 
I don't want to say mimic because I, you know, it's, they have the, a beautiful flavor and texture all of their own. But if you take a bite of this chocolate cake that we created using this combination of flours, someone who's accustomed to eating gluten only will not know the difference. And that's the part that I like is, you know, tricking the brain. Friends of mine that are celiac or friends that are required to eat gluten-free, their biggest frustration in the very, very beginning was, I want something that tastes just like the gluten product that I'm accustomed to. So I think as things have gotten better, we've seen that replacement of the flavor profiles or the texture profiles come to fruition. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So moving on to the best part of the cake, you know, frosting. <laughs> if you're an icing lover, this is for you, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are some of your top frosting pairings with gluten-free cakes and, and regular cakes? I mean, what do you think really tops it all off in a majestical way? Um, well, I, I don't know if it necessarily matters that it's even gluten-free. I, I just love frosting, and I think every cake <laughs> deserves some frosting on it. Um, and my personal favorite is a buttercream. Anything that's kind of um, butter-based, I just love butter, is I personally think going to taste um, better than anything else. So I'm not so sure if being gluten-free matters so much with the frosting. Um, I, Yeah, I think any, any frosting on a cake is going to be great. I, I'm with you. I'm team frosting. I'm team frosting on anything. We have been adding frostings lately to like carrot cake loaves and banana bread loaves. And oh, I'm like, yeah. it needs a frosting. We've definitely got to add some <laughs> cream cheese icing or a buttercream mm-hmm. or a chocolate glaze. I yeah. mean, everything needs layering exactly. and sweets. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I also like it really simple. And I like to just drizzle some chocolate ganache on, on something, sometimes even a banana loaf or something that simple. Absolutely. Um, Bananas like, and chocolate are a perfect mm-hmm. combination. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I guess gluten-free, sometimes they can taste a little bit drier, especially maybe if you if you didn't get the, the combination perfectly right the first time. And so adding some frosting can kind of give you a little bit um, more, more, some more moistness back to the cake, kind of overpower the dryness if you... If you dried it out a bit. That's a that's a really good tip. So speaking of frostings and icing, let's talk general cake beauty. And let's not lie, all mm-hmm. cakes are beautiful. How do you like to decorate and transform the simple canvas of a cake into a work of art? Okay, so I'm not going to lie. I'm not the best at piping. So I almost always, always do like a simpler naked cake. I'm really into um, you know, naked cakes too. I love them. Uh, yeah, I love them, and because I also don't like an overwhelming amount of frosting. And if you're doing multiple layers, you're already going to have frosting between each layer. So just like a nice thin naked frosting around the cake is what I I like, and it's also I feel like the easiest to do. Um, I like to do that and then also drizzle, like I said, chocolate ganache. I put chocolate on everything. So drizzling chocolate ganache over a cake is also one of my favorite things. And then adding maybe just something little on the top. But I very rarely do like a fully piped and decorated cake. I I actually agree with you on all that you just said. Um, I love doing naked cakes. 
I love swoopy kind of textured top to a cake. Even if I, you know, even if I frost it all over, I'll tend to lean to the swoopy, swoopy side. But I will say (laughs) that this year, one of the goals that I put out into the universe and Amanda Faber, if you're listening, I know you're probably so disappointed that I haven't done this yet, (laughs) but I am really, really wanting to get better at my piping game and knowing which tips to use and how to, you know, take that cake game one step further. So it was a resolution for 2020, but <laughs> here we are in April <laughs> and and I'm still working on that goal. Bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think all goals are, are put on hold and that might be okay. Uh, yeah, right I think it's safe to say that 2020 was not working as we thought. We should unplug it for 10 minutes and plug it back in and see if <laughs> if we can get a reboot. Yeah. <laughs> So your blog uh-huh, is yeah. peanut butter plus chocolate. And with a decadent, na- decadent name like that, people may be surprised to know that you actually feature many vegan and gluten-free recipes. So tell us about your journey as a baking blogger and why do you feature these dietary restriction recipes interspersed with traditional ones? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I never set out to be a food blogger, food photographer, anything like that. I've always enjoyed baking and I was living in Los Angeles and um, was an actor living out there. And, you know, there's just that stigma all the time to be in good shape and stuff, but I just never, I I just love cookies and I like cake and I like to eat my sweets every single night. Like, I have to have it. So I started baking healthier and I got really into working out and protein powder. And so I started putting, like, protein powder in everything and I would bake with it and I would try and make, like, the healthiest, cake I could and they weren't very good. I was making like no carb, no fat, like cakes. They were awful. But I I mean, I don't know. At the time I was like eating them and they were something and better than nothing. Um, And I I think it was right around Instagram first came out. I think I posted one on, on my page and people were just like flooding it, asking me for the recipe. And I didn't even know most of these people. So I just and I was kind of cool. It's like, oh, people are interested in what I'm doing. So I just kept doing it. And it's over the years really in, evolved into something else. Um, and I was always kind of doing them gluten-free anyways, using alternative flours. So I've always stuck with that. Um, they're not so healthy anymore. They might be gluten-free or use alternative stuff or vegan. But um, I do use real sugar most of the time now. And I don't care so much about the fat content rather than how it tastes. So it, it just kind of evolved with me over the years. It's been an interesting ride. Yeah, no, I think it's a great idea to just also have the, you know, treats in there. As my eternally classy Canadian grandmother would say, everything in moderation. <laughs> so you can have that, you know, extremely buttery rich thing, you know, and enjoy it and not, you know, be upset with yourself. And then you can also experiment with these gluten-free recipes. If you have gluten insensitivity, you can have best of both worlds. So and one thing I want to I want to pick your brain about the name peanut butter plus chocolate. Like, are those your two favorite things? Would you eat a spoon of peanut butter and a bite of chocolate at the same time? And that birthed the name. I mean, yeah. Give us the mystery. Is that it? So, well, kind of. <laughs> yes, I do love peanut butter and chocolate, and I probably love almond butter more than peanut butter now. Ooh. But, yeah, I <laughs> the know. plot thickens. Yeah. <laughs> but, um. But 
I do want to say if you ever start a blog, like don't just definitely think about your name before you do it. I didn't realize that it would take off. And by the time it had, it had, I, it was too late to change the name. So I've always just kind of stuck with it. But um, sometimes people think that that's all my blog is, is only peanut butter and chocolate recipes. So I'll get messages sometimes and someone will say, well, this is, this is strawberry. This isn't peanut butter. Yeah. Something and, like that. Yeah. And you say, can I refer you to Reese's peanut butter cups? Yeah. They'll take care yeah. of the peanut butter plus chocolate. Yeah. Well, maybe as a nickname, I'll just call you almond butter plus chocolate for a little twist on where your true passions lie. Yeah, I, I do. I love almond butter. So that's <laughs> what I eat more often than that. I like it too. So a big part of your blog and your passion is food photography, which in the beginning you didn't think you were going to be on that journey. Can you offer some tips and insights to our listeners on how to get better photos of their baked goods? Any styling suggestions you've learned along the way that you you can pass along? Yes. So when I first started, I thought it was all about camera and lenses and I was always asking with Holly, like, what camera are you using? And that's how I was going to achieve this, like, beautiful photo. But I realized over the years it really just comes down to three things, like light and composition um, and editing. And once you've gotten those three things, you can shoot it on an iPhone if you understand those three things. Um, And, of course, a camera and and a good camera does help, but I've... And I've also done it myself, taking taking beautiful photos on a really old camera or or an iPhone, and was able to edit them, and and no one knows the difference just by making sure I'm using really good light and good composition and editing. And I think so many people will be surprised that they look at a food photographer's photos before they're edited, and that's really kind of how you stand apart from the crowd as you're editing. I think personally. You can you can take a photo that's well lit and still make it look like dark photography, um, or one that's really dark and make it look bright and airy. And that's a, another thing. Like the there's within like the food blogging community, I feel like there's so many trends and things, and it's so easy to kind of get lost in um, you know like all the new photographers that are up and coming. They're just trying to find a way to stand out. Like I'll put a piece of cake on anything before I put it on a plate to shoot it just to try and style something new, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I'll I'll put on anything besides a plate before it goes to a plate. Well, and I will even say just with the improved technology in cell phones, we are seeing some of the most beautiful photos that you would never guess were taken on someone's cell phone. And I can speak for myself, every single photo in the in my Instagram account for Brian Hart Hoffman, I take all of those photos at home with my iPhone. And I I bake, I, I have a few surfaces, I get near the windows, and I, I do it all on my phone. And, and a lot of people are shocked because obviously here at Bake From Scratch, we have an amazing team of talented photographers and stylists. And their images appear in the bake feed and in our magazines and cookbooks. But anything on my account, it was shot at my home. And I love to tell people about how easy it is 
with just like you said, light composition and editing, you can showcase your baked goods beautifully. And your images are always so beautiful. They do jump out. And and I agree. I like styling on something a little different. So it's an unexpected like, ah, oh, look at what she did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, cookies have been, you know, shot on a cooling rock a million times. And so you just need to find new ways to stand out on Pinterest and things like that if you want your blog to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Sierra, for talking to us today. We've gotten so much insight on more than just gluten-free baking. We've got it on how to take a beautiful photo, getting to that special window that has the best morning light. And uh, we really appreciate you talking to us about your amazing skills. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you guys today and baking the cake, and I can't wait for you guys to see it. Well, thanks for being a part of the Better Baking Academy, and we will see you more online and in our tutorials and recaps and everything that we are bringing to the Better Baking Academy. But as always, thank you for taking your time to be with us on The Crumb. Of course. Thank you, guys. All right. Have a good one. You too. All right. Bye-bye. She really is such a wealth of knowledge and just hearing her talk about the tapioca flour and the different combinations that you would want to utilize gluten-free flours for to highlight each of their amazing properties, what they lend to texture, taste, and then I loved what she said about if you dry it out, you you do put a buttercream and an icing on it because... I mean, don't we all do that anyway in gluten and gluten-free baking? So what, you know, I'm so glad she's a part of this program. I love this cake. It has really opened my eyes to a broader world of gluten-free flour blending and baking. And I'm going to take on some of it in my kitchen at home too. Yeah, it's great to have this recipe because you're going to have leftover of this, you know, all four of these fine artisan flours, which, pro tip, store in the freezer for up to four months. They'll last a much longer time. You can use that almond flour for our macarons that we have on in March. You can use the one-for-one one for, one for any other gluten-free baking. Coconut flour has so many uses, Yum. and oat flour is fantastic. You can even make, like, cookie raw cookie dough with oat flour and i'm telling you i've made it once before it's fantastic so just bring the, on the cookie dough yes <laughs> i know i know no, no eggs required it's delicious so that's just the tip of the iceberg of this program go to our website bakefromscratch.com to sign up for the free better baking academy share your creations with us on instagram at the bake feed we love seeing everything you're doing and keep an eye out for our instagram tv videos that accompany each of these modules And until next time, we wish you all better baking and happy baking with Bob's Red Mill. If you liked our podcast, please rate, subscribe, and tell a friend about us. To keep up with all of our baking endeavors, follow our editor-in-chief and co-host, Brian, on Instagram at brianhardhoffman. You can follow Bake From Scratch on Instagram at The Bake Feed. For online recipes and fresh baking content, go to our website, bakefromscratch.com, and sign up for our newsletter, Preheat. Finally, for in-real-life baking inspiration, grab our magazine on newsstands or subscribe through our website.